Good morning. Back with you again. Get to do this every once in a while. I'm one of the uh, members of the teaching team. Uh, we met last night and figured out a number of things that we're not doing right and that we need to fix. So I'm going to try something a little different at the end of the service. So be ready for something slightly different. Um, we actually want to be a little bit more declarative and helping you know what's in the world's going on. Anyway, last month we started a, a new series uh, called Avoiding the Fiscal Cliff. If any of you are involved in finance in any way, you know that that is in reference to stuff that's going on in our uh, current uh, U.S. government and issues there with uh, finances. Uh, however, our goal in looking at these materials is to help us as followers of Jesus to have a better understanding of God's ways as they pertain to money and finance. Uh, there is this phrase, God's ways, are echoed throughout the Old Testament. I'm not sure if it is in the New, uh, but throughout the Old, there's this this sort of lifting up this idea of God's ways and our ways. And in one of the passages that does that, it's David in the Psalm 86:11, and he says, Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. And just as we would uh, want to and need to learn about God's ways in how we relate to God, and how we relate to others, so we also need to learn about walking in God's ways related to finance. And so a few weeks ago, I started talking about the uh, language and the topics of of wealth, uh, money, and riches. And I suggested that many times in our own culture, those three distinctions uh, are lost somewhat. However, throughout the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, there is a distinction between them, and I have been uh, attempted the last time to give some distinctions uh, to the first two, wealth and money. I'll review that just slightly in a minute, and then we'll move on to riches as well as another financial topic. So before we do that, though, I would like to pray. Papa, thank you for this chance to be together. We live in a free country, we say, with the liberties of worship and of gathering together. And I'm just uh, having thought about world economics a little bit yesterday. I'm just reminded of how many of our brothers and sisters, uh, perhaps the majority of them, are scattered throughout countries with great persecution, um, with uh, debilitating societies and challenging financial situations. And as I think about and as we discuss and talk about wealth and riches and money, uh, might we be thoughtful that we are uh, a very well-to-do people. And as a result, uh, your word um, communicates to us that we have obligations, uh, being those who are well-off. And so even as we consider these topics, I pray that you would be Holy Spirit moving in our hearts and helping us to be mindful of what uh, you would ask of us related to our finances. Uh, Help our guests that are here in particular uh, that are coming and uh, and for a variety of different reasons, coming and visiting, checking out, uh, just stepping in. We welcome you to meet them, that they might know you better as a result of this day together. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is wealth? 
Um, I've mentioned previously wealth in the Hebrew language is defined primarily as possessions, stuff, uh, particularly in the sense of resources, substance, commodity. Wealth was described as land, houses, cattle, flocks, gold, silver, jewelry, timber, oil, gas, and people in the form of men and maidservants. Uh, whom we would parallel today to the idea of employees. Uh, Wealth is always something tangible and of itself has value. Gold has value. Timber has value. Land has value. It has value in it. Wealth is always tangible. Wealth is not used for the purpose of buying and selling. It is the result or the outcome of things bought and sold. So it's important to remember that as I talk later about riches as being something different. What is money? Money is very different in its characteristics from wealth. Uh, We are aware that money is a median of exchange for which we trade goods and services. Money is what we receive for our production and services as workers and employees, which we then use to buy other items that are produced and services that are provided. While wealth is something of substance and value, gold has value in and of itself, money has no intrinsic value. Do we not all understand that? Money is paper that is trees, it's coins, it's not gold coins or silver coins anymore. Um, There is nothing in money in itself that has value. Rather, its value is determined on a daily basis by markets. The U.S. dollar goes up and down its value. Essentially, it's identified and its value is set by people's opinions. That's not something to base our life on on too solidly. We said as well that money in and of itself is impotent. It has no power. We suggested in this series that Jesus pointed past money to a spiritual entity called the spirit of mammon that is behind money and the world's economic systems. And one of the primary entities, one of the spiritual entities' primary objectives is to tempt and entice us to place disproportionate value on money. And when people believe that money has power, they are tempted to love money or worse, put our trust in money. And yesterday I was I was thinking about this and I just what an oxymoron it is that we're tempted to put our trust in something that on it declares in God we trust as the back of all of our money does. Um, And we even speak about the almighty dollar, right? I mean, not a lot, but we have used that term in our society. And yet there on the back of it is, in God we trust. Something a little askew there. Money also in and of itself carries no intrinsic morality. It's an amoral commodity that's neither virtuous nor evil. And then, as I think we also all know, there is a scarcity versus demand of money, which we touched on more fully last time, and just the issues of what happens in an economy. 
and, and how that's manipulated by uh, infusing society with more money or withholding. In summary, I would say money is created by humankind. It belongs to the world's economic systems, which we've also said is based on buying and selling. In contrast, God's economic system is based on receiving and giving. We were at my daughter's wedding, uh, Mercy's wedding last, uh, when was that? Saturday. Saturday. Been a long week, and and um, I was listening. Uh, the priest. It was done in a Catholic church. The priest had a wonderful presentation, very very enjoyable. I've pressed it down eight times today. All right, it's not staying today, so we'll we'll here. We'll do that. Maybe it'll stay there. Anyway, they were at the exchange of the rings part, and the priest says, "Mercy, take this ring." And I leaned over to Clara and I said, no, receive this ring. Giving it. We give to one another gifts, love, and care. We don't take love, right? It's given. It's a part of God's economy. Taking, grasping, clutching has to do with the world system. So what are riches? In the Hebrew language, as in English, there are two different words, one for riches and one for wealth. One is used more often, but there still are the distinctions of the two. One of the passages where this is identified is when God had asked Solomon, King Solomon, what he wanted from him. Genie coming along, giving him three wishes. What would you like, Solomon? And Solomon asked for wisdom and knowledge to lead God's people. Now, did you think God just kind of went, cool, my boy? <laughs> right? He's asking for wisdom and knowledge to care for my kids. When, when someone loves a child, the mother is just drawn to that person. When I would express love to our daughters, Clara just kind of melts a little bit. When I hold Jacks and, and give him love and attention, the joy just kind of, there's this little thing that happens, right? And, and God loves his kids. And when this man came along and said, you know, all I really want is to know how to lead them, God just said, well, golly gee. You know, as a matter of fact, I'll give you that, and I'm going to give you wealth and riches, and I'm going to give you riches, wealth, and honor like no other king before or ever after you. Wow. So Solomon was aligning with the economy of God. He was not clutching after riches and wealth like we are often tempted to do, nor like kings typically have and do. He was humble. And he said, you know what? I just need to live in God's economy. And the end result was he had all the rest as well. Riches, while very related to wealth and money, are not the same. Riches, listen to this, riches are wealth and money that are working for you. When someone has wealth or money in excess of their obligations and necessities, they are in a position to invest those resources, those tangible goods, so to speak, 
and have it work for them, earning them money, more money and more wealth. Riches are not wealth and money that you have worked for, but rather wealth and money that works for you. Today, we would call that investments. A few years ago, a friend of mine was released from a very good paying position with the company that he had worked for for over 25 years. The only company he had worked for out of college and then graduate school, the only company he worked for, he was released. And here's what he did. Rather than going out to find another well-paying job or, or any kind of a job initially, he began to take the wealth and investments that he had that he had accrued up to that point, and he began to work that wealth, which for him was in the form of houses. He had bought numerous houses as rental properties. He also had a number of stocks and investments in wealth. And rather than going to work for someone else, he took his wealth and he began to make it work for him and essentially has never lived another day since. He did along the way early on take a job. What did I say? I said it wrong. He's never lived again. Sorry. He's never worked. He's never worked another day of his life. That's what it was supposed to have been. I'm glad you're awake. Somebody's awake out there. I, surprisingly, he took an $8.50 job for a while. He was unloading trucks for a small uh, store. He just needed to kind of make ends meet a little bit while he was getting started, I think. Um, When we have riches, wealth, and money working for us, there is a significant challenge, and that is the mammon spirit is going to try to influence us to trust in those investments, especially for future needs. The Apostle Paul spoke to Timothy about this in 1 Timothy 6.17. He said, as for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And that word enjoyment, I looked it up yesterday, it means enjoyment. Do we, I don't think we often think about God providing everything we need for our enjoyment, right? We don't. We kind of think, oh, no, enjoyment, no, that's kind of some, that's something. No, no, no. Joy. Jesus said, I tell you these things so that your joy, so that my joy might be in you and your joy be full. Enjoyment. God has provided and will continue to richly provide everything we need for our enjoyment, our joy in life. And that touches on this issue we've mentioned numerous times, which is a struggle that we all have, that I have, which is who is my source? I mentioned, um, I think last time, or sometime there, soon there uh, before that, um, I had gotten a written up notice that essentially said at the end of this notice, I've been working for this new company for about a year, <clears throat> and I was, uh, there was an issue where I made a mistake significantly enough that my boss felt the necessity to write it up, and the very last line was, and if you do this again, you're fired. I mean, essentially, not quite that uh, rough of language, but that was that it. 
And I mentioned uh, to you at that time that, you know, I had a rough time that day, if you can imagine. And, and what, I, what I struggled with is who's my source? Is this company my source? Is my own ability to go get another job my source? No. <laughs> I did that once for six months and it didn't work. So um, that is... Honestly, as we wrestle with this whole arena of finances, you know, we talk around here sometimes about what's, well, what's under that fear? You know, what's under that concern? And what's under a fear about the future is a mistrust of God. And that's what I've had to, to wrestle with each time that we have faced financial challenges, even as we were this very week. Um. We have to wrestle with who is our source. Are, are we really trusting God or are we trusting in our savings accounts or our bank accounts or a, a, a rich neighbor or rich, not neighbor, rich uh, family member or something that someone can help bail us out, kind of like the government so nicely did a few years ago for some companies. Mark 4, Jesus describes riches, and he describes them as being deceitful. Mark 4, 18 and 19. It's actually in the middle of a parable talking about seeds being planted and uh, them being hindered from growing to fruition. And in Mark 4, 18, he says, The thorny ground represents those who have heard the word, but the worries, cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Friends, we are frequently deceived by riches. And we are regularly struggling with desires for more things. I think when we even hear the word wealth, riches, and money, that most of us, just the words by themselves create a tension. Well, that's not me. I'm not wealthy. I'm not rich. I need more money. Or we see someone driving a really nice car and we think, wow, I can't, why can't I have a nice car like that? Right? This area is unwhole in most of us. And so we are talking through a difficult, a challenging topic for the purpose of us getting a hold of what are God's ways related to these topics. Now, I want to say very clearly that having wealth and money that works for us is not wrong. In fact, the parables, numerous parables of Jesus would suggest that it is our responsibility and our obligation. In Matthew 25, the talents, um, which we said was how much? 20 years? 20 years. A talent in, in the Matthew account, he gave a couple of those to somebody. They were 20 years wages. We're not talking about he gave him 10 bucks to go down and see what he could do with it. 20 years wages to invest in business. The minas uh, are less than that, and I'll, I'll refer to them later. But those parables suggest that receiving money, 
They received someone else's money. They didn't get the money. They received the master's money that was entrusted to them. They were given the task to go make business with it and to produce it, to multiply it, to use the money to create riches. Jesus commanded the servants who multiplied the money entrusted to them by having it work for them. Yet it was not theirs. They had been entrusted, it had been given, and they gave it back. But there was a tremendous reward that they were given as a result of their fruitfulness. God's desire is for there to be overflow of wealth, riches, and money in our lives. That He is the master of and we His stewards. 2 Corinthians 9 is a wonderful passage on God's economy in finances and also includes uh, the topics of giving and receiving as we've described here. In verses 6 through 8, describe and talk about some of this issue about money. Remember this, or wealth and, and riches. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. A very familiar passage to us. The whole chapter is about Paul inviting this church to give to other churches that were in need, where there was a famine going on. And he's inviting them to participate in this. And he says... And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you, always having sufficiency in everything, may also have a surplus for every opportunity for doing good. It is God's intention. It is God's heart for His people to live within their means to where they would have resource surplus that would be available for any, every good need. Often around here, we have had seasons or times where various members have been out of work, sometimes for long periods of time. And not through the church budget, but through the giving of our members, many people have been sustained and helped along through a challenging and difficult time. Sometimes there have been medical bills that have been uh, unattainable uh, by some. And those members with the surplus, the availability, have come alongside. And many times I know that we've been, I've been personally sort of wrestling with, well, we don't really have an extra to do that. But we do. All of us do. And we have an obligation, a responsibility before God. This is a part of His economy, is that we as His kids would have surplus. It's not how most of us are living, but it is the ways He would want us to have. And that's what we're talking, it's a part of what we're describing and talking about here. Riches are wealth and money that work for us in producing more wealth and money that are then available to God for caring for others and expanding God's kingdom. Well, there's another kind of financial resource described in the Bible, and that is treasure. So in thinking about treasure, what do you think of when you hear the word treasure? 
pirates, arg, <laughs> treasure chests. How about dragons? Right? Do we have any pictures there? There we go. Look at that. We did it. We got it. Treasure is a storage of accumulated wealth. And I've said before that the world's economy uh, is based on buying and selling, but I've also suggested a long time ago that in its extreme form, it's also about taking, clutching, and hoarding. That's the world system. That's the temptation that the mammon spirit puts before us. I need more. I need to have enough so that if something happens, I'm okay. I'm going to need to take and take and get and hoard, and I can't give it to anybody else. One of the things I've talked about before is hoarding and clutching has closed hands. What does giving have? Giving has open hands. What does receiving have? Open hands. What does taking have? Closed hands. We, we wrestle with these, and I'm not, you know, some of this is just semantics words. Take, give, receive. But there's something to it. And I think we need to wrestle with how can I give more? We recently... Uh, Got some chicks, uh, chickens, chicks, and um, I've got five chicks, actually six. Um, anyway, um, they, they got put out on the back porch and a screened back porch and weren't there the next morning. It was kind of sad. I, I had to comfort Joy. It was uh, a pleasure to do so. And then uh, my nurse, I, I have a nurse that I see every six weeks for an infusion, a medical infusion. And uh, she owns a, a, a small ranch, like 50 acres or something, little ranch for Texas. And uh, I have 0.61 acres in my house. I don't quite have a ranch. But anyway, she, um, I was tell- it happened the morning she was there. And so I was just sort of telling her the story. And she goes, oh, well, we just ha- I just, I've got about a month and a half old. Uh, I've got six chicks. Um, happy to give them to you. And as I, um, and we did receive them. But... I felt an obligation to pay. She gave, she offered to give, but had talked about their value at the market, at the store, where she had bought uh, others. And, and so there was this tension in me, and what I, I was wrestling with, what could I do to give back? And I couldn't come up with anything. I, I just never did. So while I was there, I attempted to hand her a $20 bill, and she wouldn't take it. And so then I grabbed a 10 that I also had close, and she was willing to accept that. But I, I, she was giving, and I wanted to honor that, but I just couldn't figure out how to do it. So we, we need to think about this realm of living in God's economy like Solomon did. God's economy also speaks of treasure. But it's a very different kind of treasure than accumulated wealth. Biblically, treasure is an accumulation of good deeds that are stored up in heaven for future withdrawals. So I want to look just briefly here at what Jesus says about treasure on earth and treasure in heaven. Matthew 6, 19-21. Do not. Do not. Funny. He's starting this with don't gather 
Keep up and store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and worm consume and destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But gather and heap up and store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor worm consume and destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasures on earth are referring to various forms of wealth and riches. It can be accumulation of lands, houses, and stuff. It could be cars, clothing, shoes, tools, electric gadgets. It can be investments, mutual funds, stocks, securities, savings accounts, and many more. Treasures on earth are things that we prize and are tempted to put our trust in. Very often our heart and affections are usually attached to those things. If you were just to pause and just kind of reflect on everything that's in your home, and if you were to imagine your home without you or your pets, everyone's safe, it going up in flames, what is the treasure that you would miss? What is the treasure that you would lose that is of greater significance to you than almost anything else? Our heart and affections are attached to our treasures. But Jesus says that the treasures of earth are vulnerable. They're susceptible to decline, to loss, and to pillaging. Um, The author of the book, um, Wealth, Riches, and Money, that Claire and I are using for a basis for this series, Um, stated this in his book. He wrote this in 2001, but when I read it, um, both in 2009 and then again, I just, wow, does it really describe what's going on now or not? He says, The moth may be a picturing of inflation, a decline in the value of existing money as a result of having too much of it in circulation. The rust may be picturing deflation, an increase in the value of existing money due to having too little money in circulation. This results in an economic slowdown or even brings commerce to a halt. The worm may be picturing international devaluation, which affects many people in countries that have currency tied to the U.S. dollar or other foreign currencies. Greece, Europe, Spain. Thieves may be referring to fraud, collapses of financial institutions, such as the savings and loans in the United States in the 1980s, or these tremendous companies back in the 2008 or so that we saw. Bank failures, financial market collapse, the fiscal cliff. Again, hear me, It is not wrong to have investments in the world system. Having riches working for us can be wise and prudent. But when we take that and give it, it changes economies. It moves from the world's economy to God's economy as it is given. And it has greater ability for care and support for others. 
Our purpose in all of this is to be stewards of God's resources. We are not an owner. We are the steward who has been given money, resources, wealth that is to be put to work for God and on God's behalf. And from it, He will provide for us. We're going to talk in a couple of weeks about the idea of a closed circle. And all we're talking about with that is essentially living within our means. If we have a closed circle, we have agreed with God about how much is enough. And when we do that, when we have agreed with God, this is how much I need to live, then wealth, riches, and money will not be a problem. If we do not have a closed circle, if we have not answered the question of how much is enough, then we will be tempted to use the accumulation of riches and wealth to create a stockpile, a potential resource for the future. And by doing so, coming under the control of the spirit of mammon. Our investments can, in that kind of a situation, become treasure, that in which we trust, and when it collapses or is robbed, we can be devastated. When the markets drop and that which we had in that treasure chest is debilitated so significantly that we can't retire anymore on what uh, we thought, when we thought we could. That's a challenge. That is a problem. I want to look again at a story that we looked at previously from Mark 10. We um, read it earlier. There's a wealthy man. He had come to Jesus. He had asked how he could inherit eternal life. And verses 21 and 22 from Mark 10 say, Jesus, looking at him intently, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you own, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, And he went away very sad, for he owned much property. He owned much wealth. Jesus, through prophetic revelation, discernment from God, knew that this man's treasure was his wealth. Jesus knew that he was ensnared by the mammon spirit. And Jesus loved him and desired him to be free. So Jesus wrote him a prescription for his illness. And that prescription, if he would fill it, would allow him to be both free from that tyranny as well as to follow Jesus. The prescription was that he was to convert his possessions and wealth into money and give it away to needy people. And in that act, he would profane or defile the mammon spirit, taking away its power. It's one thing to say, I rebuke you, spirit of mammon. 
It's a whole nother one to take what's in your savings account and give it to someone. Right? Sell all you own and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Had this man converted his wealth and riches to money and given it away, the money would have changed economic systems, as I suggested earlier, from the spirit of mammon to God's economy and would have been then a blessing of God. It would have been God's money to bless those in need. Now, there's a couple of really cool things about treasure in, a, tre- a treasure in heaven account. All right? You know, some of you have money at Chase or Wells Fargo, Bank of America or wherever, but uh, there are accounts available uh, in heaven, and I would encourage you to open one soon. Firstly, it is not susceptible to the same problems that banks and treasures on earth are susceptible to. Moth, rust, worm, thievery. Not a problem. It's the only truly safe investment. Secondly, the interest rate is phenomenal. A while back, Claire and I and Priscilla and Mercy, a number of years ago, we opened free checking accounts at Capital One, and they were providing a 5% interest rate for the checking account funds that were in there. Very cool. We actually got like a couple of bucks you know, a month. And that just really seemed, you know, for the girls, that was just awesome, right? They eventually dropped the interest rate. And yesterday, just for a comparison, I went out to, you know, the Internet, and I, I found that the, and this is just one that popped up, Wells Fargo Bank is now currently paying 0.01% interest on a savings account, just in case you, you know, might want to invest your money that way. So 5% 10 years ago is now 0.01. Not a good interest rate earnings. A CD was 0.02. All right. I'm going to give you a little lesson on financial interest and God's economy. Let's say that you invest $1,000. I am an accountant, but I have to do all the math and calculators and stuff. I don't do this stuff in my head. If my calculations are wrong, please don't tell anyone except me. All right. Let's say you invest $1,000 and you found somebody that's willing to give you 5%. Awesome. You put it there for two years. $1,050. 50 bucks. Two years, 5% interest. Hey, do that for 20 and might have $1,200. I don't know. Not very much. Interest rates are pretty low. At the end of the second year, first year you would have 1050 At the end of the second year you would have $1,102.50 going up. All right, now, God's economy. Treasure in heaven account from Luke 19. It's a long passage, so I'm just going to kind of summarize parts of it. Jesus tells a story that most scholars suggest he's actually talking about himself. A nobleman, a king. A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Kind of sound like Jesus going away and then Jesus coming back. Before he left, however, he called together ten of his servants and gave them each ten minna. Gave. Didn't charge them. Gave it to them. Ten minna. A minna is about three years' wages. 
And he told them, do business with this. Then it says, after the man was crowned king, he returned and he asked for an accounting of the money he had given to his servants. The first reported that he had made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are an awesome servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So now I'm going to make you governor of ten cities. The second reported that they had made five times the original amount. Again, the king went, hot dog, good job. I'm going to make you governor over five cities. All right. I suggested a while ago, a minute ago, that Amina was three years' wages. Let's just throw the number of $33,000 out there just kind of for fun as an annual wage. Many of you make more than that. Many of you make less. Let's just use that one. So that means that they were given, in our day and age, approximately $100,000 to do business with. Could you do business with $100,000? Not a lot, but yeah, we could. I mean, that's got some teeth to it, a little bit. All right, so the first one came back. They had made ten times what they were given. How much is that? I thought it was 100. I was, yes, you're right. It's one, but he still had the one to give back to. He had 1.1 million. 100,000 became 1.1 million. That is a 1,000% interest rate. Just to make the comparison. All right, second guy, person, woman, made business, did business with 100,000, and they came back and gave the king 600,000. Five times the one plus the one, 600,000. That's a 500% interest rate. Now, that's the kind of return I believe that Jesus teaches that we can expect when we operate in his economy. Not always in relationship to money, but in relationship to anything. Remember the story of Solomon. I just want leadership and wisdom to lead your people. Okay, watch my interest rate on everything else. And don't miss that the king said, because you were faithful in a very little thing. I looked that one up too. It really means a very little thing. Because you were faithful. He's calling a lot of money a very little thing to be a steward of and to be faithful with. And because of it, they were given authority, the first over ten cities. That, that's not reasonable. That's not the world's economy and math. Another example, quickly, I'm, I'm, I am approaching to being done. Another example uh, of biblical investment is the story of the sower and the four soils in Mark 4. We read a portion of that. We referred to the uh, deceitfulness of riches. Four, four se- seeds are scattered, four different soils. One of those soils, we're told, though, produced 30, 60, and 100-fold. $1,000, 30 is 30000 60-fold is 60000 a hundredfold is $100,000 on a $1,000 investment. 
God's economy is not like our economy. It is nothing like the world's economy. God's economy is based on abundance, surplus, and more than enough. The world's economy is based on lack, insufficient funds, and not enough. Remember the Garden of Eden? God spread his arms. He said, Adam and Eve, can you see to the ends of that you can see? All of this is yours. All of it. From here to as far as you can see. It's all yours. Except that. You can't have that. It's not good for you. Hot dog. I like this. All this. Anybody want a big ranch in Texas? No, maybe not Texas. Somewhere. How about uh, Iowa? No, 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 not Iowa. What's it? Idaho? Idaho. Idaho's cool. Texas is, Texas is good too. Just not between here and El Paso. Up near Tyler would be fine. Something went wrong though. What happened to all this and that? Satan came along. And he said to Adam and Eve, Oh, you poor people. God is withholding that from you. You're lacking. You have insufficient funds. You need to take. And then, then you won't need Him. Because you'll be your own God. And it's still the same today. God says, be generous, ready to give to every need. Satan says, generous? Give? Wait a minute, I'm the one who is in need. God wants, His intention is to bless us with hundredfold blessings. Our responsibility is to love Him above all else and to learn to walk according to His ways to live in a closed circle so that there would be surplus and always enough for every good need. Last week, Melissa Williams, a good friend of ours that used to work in uh, our church, had some good things to say about extravagant giving. And one of which was that while most of us don't think of ourselves as rich, the Internet says, that somewhere between one-third to a half of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. Back in 2004, they were calling it a dollar a day. It's inflated a little bit. So that's cool. People are now making $730 a year instead of 360 So that's good. But if you're working and you're, you get a paycheck, you're rich in America compared to 50% of the world by a lot. So with that in mind, I I feel like wanting to say to you, say, I am rich. But anyway, we're not going to do that. But you're rich. We're rich in God, but we're rich in money too. All right, and stuff, wealth even. 
I, I'm carrying this, this, this uh, no, I'm not. It's over there in the, my briefcase. iPhone. That's wealth. I could sell it on the Internet for 100 bucks. Just as it is, crack screen and everything, right? No, it used to be. My old one was. I like cracking them. They look cute, all the crackles <laughs> on them. Clara looks a little cracked up, but. All right, First Timothy 6.17. I am finishing. This is my last page here. As for those who in the present age are rich, just think, that's me, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. And don't be deceived by them either. Because they're deceptive. But rather, set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Same verse from before, but listen to how it goes on. Paul goes on and says, Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now, I don't, I'm just here to say I don't have a clue how we're going to spend that treasure chest in heaven account. But it seems like it's important to God. And it is not the same treasure there as it is here. In fact, giving produces treasure there. Clutching produces treasure here. Paul clearly says that riches are not to be accumulated for selfish purposes, but rather to do good and to be rich in good works and to be generous to those in need. And it doesn't matter how much you make a year. It doesn't matter. Every one of us is to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous to those in need. God is wanting His ways to be at work in our lives to where there is surplus, to be of blessing and benefit to others. This type of economic investment will create a treasure account in heaven for the future. This morning in closing, I'd like us to just take a moment and, and reflect on these various financial elements that we have discussed over these few weeks. Wealth, money, riches, treasure. Stewardship of what God has given us is very important to God. While God speaks of stewardship of money as a very little thing, to most of us, money is a very big thing. So I've got a variety of ideas here for things that we are called to steward. How are you doing with stewarding what God has given you? The most on topic at the moment, of course, is how are you doing at stewarding money? But maybe more important, how are you doing stewarding time? 
How are you doing stewarding your relationships? How are you doing stewarding entertainment? And how are you doing at stewarding wealth, home, furniture, clothing, electronics, vehicles? Those are all wealth. How are we doing at stewarding that which is God's, which he has entrusted to us to multiply and return back to him? Let's just pause for a minute. I just encourage you. We're just going to... Sound tech could get just some music ready. I, I don't, I'm not here to put any guilt on you. I'm here asking the question. I'm asking the question of myself. We are called to be stewards of what God has given to us. So I just encourage you, take a moment, talk to him, reflect, consider David prayed, Lord, teach me your ways that I might walk purely before you and honor you. And Papa, that's what everyone in this room, I believe, wants to do. We want to walk in your ways. We want to please you. But we're a little confused or struggling a bit to fully embrace your economy. And I welcome you, Holy Spirit. Empower us, grace us to engage our own lives to hear your voice. What are those steps? What are those elements that you would have us to engage to walk more nearly in your ways. Aren't you give us hope and faith. Hope to know that you will always and are always able to bring good to us no matter the circumstances circumstance, no matter the medical condition, no matter the loss of the job or the pay. You are committed to extending care and good to those who love you and who are called according to your ways. And then faith. Faith to take action. To live as if that were so believing that you will provide and beginning to implement your economy in our lives. Your economy of giving and receiving. Have your way, O God, in our lives. Help us, Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for demonstrating to us what it looks like to live according to God's ways. In Jesus' name. Got a couple of options for you here. Um, we're going to conclude this time.
And we're going to have some folks up here that would be happy to pray with you. Like some music on if we could. Back there, Jim. Um, also, those of you who have kids, we need you to get your kids. And I'm going to be near the door. If you would like to talk to me about this topic or share something with me, I would be happy to hear that, and I'll be over there that way. Those of you who'd like ministry, come on up. We'll have folks here. And uh, the rest can get your kids and head on out. And we'll see you at Grady's today. Take your program, The Economy of God. You were given a program this morning. It's worth 10% off the ticket. It's a gift just from them to you, really. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.